0: the book of Luke, the book of Luke, and uh, the 19th chapter, I want us to look there in the 19th chapter, and I hope that this morning I, by God's power and through His Spirit working in your mind, can take you deeper than maybe your feet would ever wander. I hope you enjoyed that cartoon. The last two weeks I've used that. I try not to be repetitive using the same style in our visuals. A little, a young boy, I want to say, I think he's nine, came to me last week. Last week we had the same thing, writing on a notepad. He bought me a notepad, and I mean he must have 15 pages of pictures, stick figures, of drawings of us, of the Scripture, Of everything, and if you remember, that's what the video was, and uh, the video, he's not here today, his family's camping, they told me they wouldn't be here today, it's camping, Labor Day, a lot of folks doing other things, but uh, I hope you pay attention, and in that video we heard invest wisely, and again I'm going to say, that's what Jesus is going to tell us today, to invest wisely. So we're in Luke, the 19th chapter. If you've got your Bibles, open them. Uh, if you don't, you'll see the words on the screen. I'm using a new living translation. might be a little bit different from your Bible, your copy, uh, if you're reading out a King James Version of the Bible, New international version, okay? Uh, but basically I use this because it's e simpler to follow. So, so follow. So look with me there. Uh, we're going to start the 11th verse, okay? I think we need to go back a verse. We don't have the 11th verse up there. Okay, yeah, there you go. Um, something else I was going to say and, and uh, just slipped my mind. Oh, Luke. Some of you some of you have not been with us when we've taken this trip. We're, we've spent almost a year and a half, soon to be two years in Luke, or at the 19th chapter. Uh, we're looking at what Luke has said that he has personally investigated. He says that in the very first chapter. He's writing to a fellow who I think for my studies, but other people who study much deeper in, in, in understanding what the Bible says, that Luke has been, he's a benefactor, or he's, he's benefiting from a benefactor who's investing the money to send him to check out these things that they heard about Jesus. And he says very, in the very first chapter, I think it's the third verse, second, third verse, I'm carefully investigating the truths we heard, so that you will know that they are true. And so he, he's talking to people. So what we're going to see today, Luke wasn't there. He didn't walk with Jesus. The man who wrote this Gospel, he didn't walk with Jesus. There's four Gospels, four biographies of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew walked with Jesus. John walked with Jesus. Their Gospel talks about that. Luke didn't walk with Jesus. Mark didn't walk with Jesus. Matthew writes to try to con- convey Who Jesus was to Jews. That's why it reads a little bit different than the other three Gospels. John writes to talk about the power within Jesus that indicates he was God. Okay? So John deals a lot with miracles. Mark writes Peter's words. We know that from the people who live back there who tell us that Mark got his words from Peter. Okay? And it's the only way to evaluate history is reading the writings of people who lived in that day. And Luke, he's the only Gentile. Most of us are probably Gentiles. There may be a, a Jewish person among us, nothing wrong with being a Jew or a Gentile. In their day, a Gentile was not looked on favorably. Favorably, And Luke is a Gentile. He's a non-Jew. He's writing as a non-Jew who doesn't, who doesn't know everything about Jewish tradition, carefully investigating This person called Jesus, who like you and I, just came to believe in by faith. He never met Jesus. He heard people talk about Jesus. And he became a follower of Jesus. Just like you and I do. 2,000 years now since Jesus walked on this earth. And yet, he's writing, listen, within 29 years of when Jesus walked on the earth. Okay, And there are people on the internet who will tell you you can't believe any of this. They don't even investigate the scriptures and the people who wrote it to analyze and rationalize like we would other writings of history. So Luke is is just giving us something that's very special. And the only way he's finding out about it is going to the places and talking to the people. And I've said this before. He must have went and talked to Mary because Mary's the only one that knew what the angel said to her. And Luke wrote about that. He must have went and talked to the shepherds in the fields when the angels appeared and said, In Bethlehem, the Savior's born. Last week we talked about Zacchaeus. <coughs> Excuse me. He must have went and talked to Zacchaeus. Today we're going to see something. Luke had to talk to people who witnessed it tell you what one of you guys go get me another bottle of water I've drank this up and for some reason it's just I need another one just in case thank you so let's look 11 somebody's done that so don't let anybody else get up okay Le- oh thank you well here you better keep that those guys I feel like they didn't do any good what a <laughs> kind what a kind thing ladies are always on the spot we don't want men to feel like they're not doing any good right did you hear all the laughter I only heard one man and all that laughter just then Okay? Here's the guy that a couple times at the primary center thank you. a couple times at the primary center, for some reason, the water just run out, and Dean's always on the spot. Man, I'm glad how <laughs> funny these days just want to drop that baby. <laughs> OK. 11th chapter. Let's get started says the crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. Now, you've got to understand, this is 19 chapters. Jesus has ministered for three years. He's going into Jerusalem. That's where He's going right now, okay? I told you, everything that Luke writes now is extremely important because Jesus basically has six or seven days of life left on this earth. He's going to go to the cross, okay? I mean, I'm six or seven days before He goes to the cross. And then He's going to raise from the day. I'm dead, and I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But everything he says, he's only got about one week before he's going to die on the cross. Extremely important what's happened in his life. And it says the crowd is listening to everything Jesus said. Now, let me ask you this. If somebody came to you who was a millionaire, billionaire, and told you how to accumulate a million dollars, would you listen to them? Yeah. If somebody who, who seemed to raise their children to honor parents told you how to help children become obedient, would you listen to them? You see, if there's somebody who has this this evidence in their life that they know what they're talking about, people listen to that. At least people who've got some kind of operating brain, okay? And so these people are listening to Jesus because Jesus has said things that have changed people's lives. He has done some things miraculously and changed people's lives. But look, Zacchaeus last week we don't know his conversation totally with Zacchaeus, but Zacchaeus is totally transformed. Totally transformed. These people are looking around and are saying, man, do you know Uncle Bill? He's changed. Do you know Aunt Mary? She's changed. Do you know the guy that lived down the street? He met Jesus. He's changed. And so they're listening to Jesus. Everything he says because His words make a difference. Now listen to me. You know that's true. If you go to church very often, because the words encounter you, and you have a hope, but the problem is you get back out in the world and you forget the words. You forget the conversation that Jesus has had with you. But these people are listening. Now it goes on. Look at verse 11. It says, And because He was nearing Jerusalem, He told them a story to correct the impression that the King of God would begin right away. Now, now I've said this before in Luke. Luke tells us Jesus makes stories. This is not something what Jesus is going to say, what we're going to read in a little bit, didn't really happen. It's a story Jesus is telling. And He always tells stories because He's got a big truth He wants to get across. Not a small truth, a big truth He wants to get across. And so He's creating a story by His own... because He's God... His God-inspired understanding of you and I, because we're the created being, we're His image bearers. It's like a daddy or a mama really telling creative stories that teach a lesson to their child. I walked through the seminary, yeah, seminary, through the cemetery yesterday with a fifteen and sixteen, or with a fifteen-year-old grandson. When we first went there, he sort of, huh? And as we walked through, he began asking questions about death. And I was able to make a few stories about death and how people look to it and why he doesn't look at it the same way as other people because he'd say, why did they do this? Why does their monument say this? Why is it designed like this? And he, the story was to illustrate that in his life, he knows Jesus Christ as Lord and he sees death totally different. And some of these people who have died. You see, Jesus tells a story because He wants you and I. We're His image bearers. We're His special creation to understand something. And it says there, what is He telling the story for? To correct their impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. See, because you and I are like it. I'm a Christian. Everything ought to change in my life. Jesus become Lord. Everything ought to change in my life. The Kingdom of God ought to come right now. Everything ought to happen right now. And sometimes we get disturbed with God or get angry with God because something happens in our life and the bad doesn't change overnight. So Jesus is going to tell a story. It's a story that you saw illustrated by that drawing in that video. So look at verse 12. He said, Jesus said, here's a story. A nobleman, which would be a very important man in their understanding, was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. And so once you understand, in the story, Jesus is the nobleman. He is the important man. And he's going to be called away and he will return. And that's what he starts the story with. You see, Jesus is the king If we read this in one of the other gospels, because they record this, they call him a king. Jesus just, or Luke just calls him a very important man. But this very important man is going to leave. And he will return. And Jesus is trying to say, listen, I'm the king. Remember, we had the blind beggar two weeks ago. He knew Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah. Jesus is saying, I king, son of God, Messiah, am here, but I will leave. But I want you to know I will come back. Jesus is, is getting them ready because in six or seven days they're going to see Jesus die on the cross and they're going to say, we followed this guy for three years here on earth and now he's dead buried in a tomb. And that, what Satan wants is that we lose, hope, we lose hope when bad happens. And that's bad for them. But Jesus is going to raise from the dead. He died on the cross for their sins, for your sins and my sins. He's going to raise from the dead. He's going to walk with them for basically about 40 days. And then He's going to ascend into heaven. And they're going to watch that. And He's wanting them to understand. He will come back. And that's the important thing in this story. He will come back. So what do I do in the meantime until He comes back? Look at verse 13. Before He left now... Before this nobleman leaves, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, and you ought to underline the next eight words. When you read this story, the next eight words, if you read it two years from now, if you'll underline this, it'll help you understand the story better. The next eight words. Ten pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I am gone. In other words, the nobleman, Jesus... The nobleman is saying, "I'm going to give you something, and I want you to invest it." Now, basically, ten people, a pound of silver piece. Okay, I don't know if he give them a pound of silver. He may give one guy a quarter of a pound, another guy two pounds. I don't know, but a pound of silver today's four thousand, five thousand dollars. Now, listen, to some people, four thousand, five thousand dollars a lot of money. To me, it's a lot of money. And to some people, that's not much. You can't do much. You see, some of you young people, you get four or five thousand dollars given to you in inheritance, and you say it's not much, and you go and buy soda pops and pay off a car payment, and it's gone, and it's not much. And somebody else takes four or five thousand dollars and they get an in inheritance and they invest it, and it accomplishes much. But this is for about four or five thousand dollars in our day. In other words, he's saying the nobleman gives his servant something before He leaves. Okay? Same thing's true for us. God gives us something. Jesus leaves us with something. Now, you go look, at, look on your message map. You've you got a page with some blanks. Look at the first blank. Because when I read this, I thought, I've got to explain about connection. And so that blank says, this is why connection exists. And does all the things it does it's for Jesus. We have been given things as a people. We have been given things and we are to use it for Jesus. We are to touch families for Jesus. That's why we do preschool. That's why we do Kids Rock. That's why we do mentoring. Because we want to touch the destinies of family. Listen, you may want to make decisions that we ought to do things differently. But we don't do things for you We do things for Jesus. And so we try to make decisions. What is best for Jesus in the lives of His people? See, what we do here at Connection, when we talk about spiritual growth, when we talk about worship, when we talk about connect groups, when we talk about mentoring, all that is for Jesus. It's not so Mike Davis, his pastor, can control the people. It's not so a connect group leader can show you how intelligent they are. Hey, listen, I know some of those people. They're not. I is one of them, okay? But it's so they can help you enter a relationship with people and maybe ask questions where you don't get to ask those today unless you text it in. See, everything we do is for Jesus. We seek to overcome character flaws in people who come to connection. We tell you compulsive behavior doesn't need to control you tomorrow and the next day. But you've got to work on it today. That's what we do in CR. Why do we do that? It's not all about you. It's for Jesus. Because if your compulsive behavior controls you, you can't honor Jesus. Your compulsive g- behavior causes you to be depressed. Your compulsive behavior causes you to feel hopelessness. See, if it's if your behavior is all about you, you're going to be stuck. See, we do this. Everything... Is, Everything is given to us by Jesus to invest for Jesus. Everything we do. Last Sunday, we took that touch someone's life gift. That's what I've, I've labeled it as a name. Where you gave money and two people have gone out and they're giving that $150 each away to somebody. Why do we do that? And we don't even control them and who they give it to. Because... We want to just touch people for Jesus. That they will be overwhelmed that Jesus came down the street one day and stopped and said, hey, our church has collects some money. And listen, they're told on that paper, don't say connection. Only if people ask you, don't be rude. Because we're not promoting connection. We're promoting Jesus. And so, as Jesus, in a sense, they're saying, our church just takes up some money and I feel like I want to give it to you. Why do we do that? Because we want those people out there to say why. And we want them to begin asking, why does God just encounter me this day with a gift of $150? And I want you to learn that. Because you see, you may be at McDonald's, you may be at Walmart, you may be at the grocery store, and maybe it's your $10 out of your wallet that makes somebody have enough. Because they're looking and they're thinking, uh-oh, I'm running short. I was at Hardy's the other day. Last night, went in there. And there was, there was five young people. I think two of them were married. And they were trying to figure out how to get Cokes for everybody. Now, I would have figured it out. I would have said, buy the small Cokes. But everybody wanted a large Coke. And they'd have, they were a dime short. And I watched them. And they are there. And so one guy said, I'll go without. And he just had a dollar. And it was a dollar nine. I saw four people pay a nine, And the lady says, you don't have a dime? I stepped up and said, you know, I got a dime. He looked at me and said, oh, no. I said, hey, man, people have given me dimes before. You see, what, what's he going to think? Why did that guy do that? He's going to just think I'm a nice guy. But if he ever investigates, it's all for Jesus. It's all for Jesus. That's why we exist, folks. You see, some of you may come to Connection and it's all about what you can get. I like that preacher because I get. I like that music because I get. I like to work in the kitchen because I get. I like to help with children because I get. I feel so good. It's not all about you feeling good. It's all for Jesus. See, in this story, a nobleman is giving him money. It's not all about them. It's all about Him. It's all being done... For the nobleman. Let's go on with the story. Look at verse 14. But his people hated him. What? And sent delegation after him to say, we do not want him to be our king. Jesus says, listen, I'm telling you, this nobleman just gave to the people. And people said, we don't want him to be king. We hate him. I'm going to tell you, Jesus comes to every life that's ever lived, and He encounters that life because He's God. And He says, I want to be king. And people decide, I hate you, God. I hate you, Jesus. And no, you can't be king. Yes, I'm king and I want you to be kind to your maid. I want you to hug. I want you to love. And you say, no, I don't want you to be king. Today, I don't want you to be king. I hate you. And you know when we hate Him the most? is when He calls for us to change the most in our emotions. I don't want you to be king. And Jesus is telling the story. And real quick, we're saying, why do the people respond like this? He just gives them. Why do you and I respond like that? Because my wife died and I said, God, take her. Because my child died and I said, God took him or her. Because because something happened to me and I said, God allowed that? I don't look at all that He's given me. See, we decide when the King speaks to us I hate you because I don't want to hear what you're telling me. I don't want to do what you want me to do. You see, some people do not want Jesus to be king of their life because that means they can't call the shots because a king calls the shots, folks. Look, it goes on 15. After he was crowned king... He returned and called in the servants to whom He had given the money. In other words, He went away and He got His kingship. He accomplished that role. Even though they didn't see it, He got it. And you know what? There's people today who don't believe Jesus is to be Lord. They don't believe He's God. They don't believe He ought to be king. He's going to come back. And the Bible says everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to know. That's what He's trying to say. He's going to come back. And you see in the story, He comes back. As rightful, king. And one day Jesus will come back as rightful king. And not will anyone will be able to prevent Him from coming back as king. That's, we've, we've done the study in the book of Revelation. That's talking about the future. And some people don't even want to listen to that. Some people don't want to listen to this story. But He's going to come back. And as king, I'm going to tell you what. What He says will go. And nobody's going to stop it then. Look, it goes on. Verse 15. The next nine words I'd recommend you underline. I'm not trying to control you. I'm just telling you. I know you'll read this story three years from now you open your Bible. And those underline points will help you understand this passage of Scripture. He wanted to find out what their prophets were. The king's going to come back. Listen, and when he comes back, he wants to find out what their prophets were. In other words, he wants to find out what they did with what he gave them. Jesus is telling the story because he's going to come back one day. And he wants to find out what you have done. I know life's tough. You're just trying to get together. Some of young people are trying to get together. Maybe, maybe, maybe when you're growing up it didn't work out so well for you. But you see, that's your past. You still have some things to invest for the future. Hold on to your past and you'll become a prisoner to it. Let King Jesus work in your life and He can set you free so you can invest what He has given you. But He wants to check out, find out what their prophets were. Now let me say what prophets does not mean. That word prophet does not mean It does not mean that Jesus needs what we do. Do you hear me? It does not mean he needs what we do. You see, Jesus as God can accomplish anything he wants to accomplish. He doesn't need Mike Davis. He gives Mike Davis opportunity to invest. But the prophet does not mean he needs something from me. Because he doesn't need what I can do. I My relationship with Him is not based upon what I do. It's based upon what He did on the cross of Calvary. What profit does mean is that Jesus is saying He's going to look and see what you did, what you did with what He gave you. That's what profit means. He's going to look and see what you did with the opportunity you had with what He gave you. You see, I had a dime in my pocket. He's going to see what I did with that dime. Some of you had opportunities even today to invest wisely from your life with others. But you are so pointed into yourself that it's all about you that you wouldn't invest with anybody. And everybody has to look at you and keep investing in yours. Now we all need investing in somebody to invest our lives sometimes. Don't get me wrong. But some of you, every time you come, it is always about you. You tell everybody about you. Prophet means he's going to want to know what you did with what you got. If your leg doesn't work right, what do you do with your body? If your eye doesn't work right, what do you do with your body? If you don't have as much money as somebody else, what do you do with what you have? If you don't have the possessions somebody else do, what do you do with the possessions you have? If you don't have the intelligence, maybe a degree like somebody else, what do you do with the intelligence you have? If your background has been more corrupted than somebody else, what do you do with that corrupt background for Jesus? That's all He's going to ask you. I'm never, I'm not going to, he's not going to ask me, what did I do in regard to the guy who bought me the water, the Taylor? He's not going to ask me that. He's going to ask me, what did I do whenever I had opportunity? Last Sunday we had four people come in here. I, I watched a couple get up and give their seats to those people. Or I think it was three others that gave up their seat. See, that was their opportunity to invest. That's what profit means. He's gonna ask you, "What you doing with what I've given you?" Now look, it goes on in sixteen. The first servant. Now that represents you and I. The first servant, second servant, third servant represent you and I. The only thing different about them is how they invested. Okay. Reported the first servant reported master. That means Jesus the King. That's that nobleman. Okay. I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done, verse 17. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted to you. So you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. Wow! In other words, it's not important what he gets. If you read it in another story, he just gets extra money given back to him. This is how Luke heard it. This is how Luke's writing it to us. But what the point of the story is, is that the nobleman, the king, saw the person invest what they have, and they was a good investment. They doubled what they had, and so they're rewarded. I want you to understand. You see, God as king, Jesus as Messiah, as Lord, He can reward as He wants to. That's not my choice. What he is saying is, I will watch, and if you invest wisely, I will reward. The only responsibility of this servant is to make his investment multiply. You're going to see that in the story. That's the only responsibility the nobleman or the king has, is that you make your investment multiply for the nobleman, or in our life, for King Jesus. Look at 18. The next servant reported, Master, again, you're king, you're in charge. Some people, Jesus isn't in charge. Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well, gee whiz, he didn't do as good as the first guy, did he? But look at what Jesus is telling the story. It didn't really happen. Jesus saying the same thing, verse 19, that he said to the first guy. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. In other words, I reward you. Somebody who reads this the wrong way says he didn't get as much as the other guy does. And some of us, that's what we do in life. We're fussing because they didn't—they got more than me. Or, or, or they had a better daddy than I did. Or, or, or they, they, they drove a better car than I did. The thing is, the king can reward any way he wants. And Jesus will. The responsibility of you and I is you and i is how do we invest what he's given to us look you're going to meet somebody and you know what they may need you to stand with them you're going to be out here and somebody mistreating somebody in the world and god has given you the ability to articulate wisely to help somebody it may be it may be somebody in your family that's hurting and you should go over And just give them a few minutes. I don't know what. I can talk about you ought to invest in child care. You ought to invest in helping connection. But it's greater than just this building and this body. And he's telling us, the king rewards people who invest wisely and it multiplies. Look, it goes on, verse 20. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. Remember in that video, he said, I hid it under the bed? It doesn't say that in the Bible, but that's at the guy who just wanted to try to illustrate. But you see, this guy said, I hid your money and kept it safe. In other words, I want you to understand something, Master. This is Jesus telling the story. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not a bad person. How many people say that? I don't want to honor Jesus as Lord of my life. I'm not a bad person. How many Christians stay nominal? That means you're really not committed. It's all about you. You're not committed, Father. And you say, I'm not a bad person? Bad people are all those other folks. This guy is saying, I am I didn't do anything wrong. I just didn't. Now, here's what he's saying. I just didn't a risk to use what you gave me for Jesus. Or for the King. That's what, that, that's what he's saying. Look at verse 21. Circle the next three words because that's the reason we don't invest. What's the next three words? Somebody got it in New Living? Yeah, that's right. I was afraid. I was afraid I didn't know enough. I was afraid I wouldn't do it right. I was afraid they wouldn't respond correctly. I was afraid... That's the reason we don't invest. I was afraid to, I was afraid to speak up for what was right. I was afraid. Jesus is telling this story. It's so insightful. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. In other words, I, the man is blaming the king, the nobleman who was crowned king, for his fear. And there's going to come a day people are going to say, well, gee whiz, I thought God was so judgmental. I thought, why would God allow... Young babies to die, why would God allow? And, and, and they decide God's too hard, I don't want to believe in Him, so I don't have to listen to King Jesus. Because if God is so powerful, He can take what He wants and he can give what He wants. You ever hear those kinds of rationality? See, that's what goes on in this world. Jesus told this story 2,000 years before people you and I live with start saying this. And what does He say? 22, you wicked servant. Look, this guy said I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not that bad. I was just afraid. And Jesus saying, you wicked servant. Because the story is all about, folks, listen, invest wisely what you have. You can't invest mine. And I can't invest yours. You can encourage me and I can encourage you. So he calls him, you wicked servant. The king roared. See, in Jesus' story, king's very upset. I'm going to tell you, for some of us, there is a wrath of God. There's no way you can read the Bible without understanding it. And it's not the wrath because I did a bad thing. It's a wrath because I won't honor him as king. And you say, that's not right. He shouldn't have that. Well, he gives you free will. You don't have to. But hey, you're, if you're a mom and daddy, don't you love it when your kid disobeys you? You just say, hey, kid, you disobey me any time. No, man, I'm telling you, my kid disobeyed me. You won't drive that car for a year. My kids will tell you. I know some of you don't like this. I would say sometimes, I'd be upset, and I wouldn't say it in anger, but I'd say, you know, you ought to thank me. And they'd say, why? That you're still alive. Or I'd say something like, you know, I've given you a gift today. What gift? I didn't kill you. You think I'm kidding? i got a child here. He's just a baby. He may not remember those things. Or he was then, he's not now. You see, the King roared, Jesus trying to get across in this story, this is not good. All three servants are given something. Two used it to the best of their ability. And one decided, I don't think it's going to work. And he did not use what was given to him. Look, he says, your own words condemn you. I didn't do anything. I'm going to tell you, there going come a day, the king is going to return. Jesus is coming back. And the Bible says, all of us will give an account. And some of us will say, Jesus, I followed you as a Lord. And some of us will have to say, I didn't follow you. Oh, I might have walked an aisle and prayed a prayer, but I didn't follow you. I was just afraid. I was afraid if I followed you in my marriage, it wouldn't work. I was afraid if I followed you in my, with my children or my parents, it wouldn't work right for me. I was afraid... I loved and cared and showed compassion, it wouldn't work. Your own words condemn you. He said, If you knew that I am a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, next three words, very important, I'd say circle them, then why didn't you? You meet anybody who says, I can't believe that in God's wrath, why would he let? Their own words are saying they know that death is real and if I was going to believe in a God, He's got a God of power. He would change that. Their own words saying they know God's powerful. Then why didn't they do something and stand against sin that causes death to people's lives? Why didn't they stand against things that causes hurt into people's lives? See, Jesus' story says, why didn't you do something with what you had? That's all you can do. I'm afraid, though. I'm afraid they'll they'll, they'll treat me like an outsider. I'm afraid they'll attack me. I, I'm, I'm afraid that they won't understand. See, He's afraid. He's saying, why didn't you? If you knew I had this kind of power, absolute power, I can take what I did not plant. I can give whatever. If you know I have that kind of power... Well, if God is real and He has all His power, I can't understand why He doesn't. If you know He has all that power, then why aren't you using what He's given you and leave the results to Him? That's all He's telling in the story. He said, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? You know, you could have got a quarter percent interest. Now, some of you understand that. But He's saying you could have got Something. At least I could have got some interest on it. And Jesus is going to ask us the question one day, why didn't you use what you have in your situation, whatever it is, why didn't you use it for me, for Him? And you know what you're going to say, what some people are going to say? I hate you, Master, because you're making me feel guilty. And I can't believe in a God that makes me feel guilty. Jesus' story is all about responsibility. The person who doesn't be responsible is the person who's going to feel guilty. But you see, in our mind, we say, I hate this whenever the preacher reminds me or God reminds me that I ought to because it makes me feel guilty. No, your irresponsibility makes you feel guilty if the king is telling you what to do. Look, he goes on 24. Then turning to the other standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from the servant, this servant, and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they said, look, see, Jesus is saying, humans don't understand. That's what he's saying. Because look what look. But the master, the other servant said, they said, he already has 10 pounds. Our rationale is if somebody's already been blessed, why do they get more blessing? See, that's left to God. That's left to God. Jesus created the story. And He wants us to understand what we do when we do that. We say, so I'm not going to try as hard because God is not as good to me as He is to you. And the point of the story is He blesses people who use what they have wisely. Who invest wisely. 25, yes, the king replied. And to those who use well, What they are given, who invest wisely, even more will be given. From Jesus' own words, He says, faithfulness will always be blessed greatly. This is not prosperity gospel. You've got to be careful. I wish I had time. I just don't have time. Someday I'll talk about the preaching of prosperity gospel. This is not prosperity gospel. This is Jesus telling a story. He said, God doesn't miss any investment that's done for the King. And He will bless every investment done for the king. Not for yourself. Well, oh, I'll teach this class because I think I'm adequate. No. I'll teach this class because you know what? Jesus needs somebody, and I'll do it for him. God will bless every investment in his story. He's telling us the king will bless Every investment done for him. But look what he says. He says, but for those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And I'm going to tell you again, it doesn't make any difference about your doctrine. It doesn't make any difference what church you go. He's saying this. Some of us just can't connect with God because we refuse to keep investing for Jesus. And so we just keep losing instead of winning. And it's not because God isn't faithful, because He's already said in the story, the King will bless every investment for Him. It's because we made it all about us. And God, you know, you're not going to con God. You're not going to fool around with God. Neither am I. Neither am I. Look at the next blank on your message map. Jesus is talking about investing what He gives you for Him. And He's just simply saying in His story, invest well and you discover you have more of Him. Invest poorly for Him and you discover you don't have as much from Him. That's all. That, that, that's what the story is all about. Twenty-seven says, Verse 27 says, And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king. In other words, we don't want to listen to you. Remember, there was that one part early in the story. People don't want to listen to him. Bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. And this is eternal judgment terminology, folks. If we were reading this in the Greek, we would come to understand he's talking about eternal destination here. Judgment is going to come. And you stand up against the king and you will experience the wrath of God. People have decided they don't want Jesus to be king of their life. They want to be king of their own life. They might hear what Jesus wants. Now listen, but they decide when they leave. I'm sorry, I'm going to do it my way. And between you and God, He knows what you've decided. This is serious stuff. You see, He's going to die. This is serious stuff. He's going to be crucified. This is serious stuff He's talking about. Look on the screen. I want you to look at what, Philippians, what Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi. For I have told you oftentimes, for I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes. And I'm telling you, knowing that someone will face eternal judgment, should make all of us cry. He says, with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct. This is Paul writing to the Christians of the first century. Jesus is gone. He says there are many whose conduct. He's writing to. A church. He's not writing to the world. He's writing to people who say Jesus is Lord. Or at least they're hanging out with people who say Jesus is Lord. And he says that there are many whose conducts show they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. And I call attention to that because in that 27th verse, when Jesus told a story, he says, as for these enemies of mine, who are the enemies? They're the ones who can hear the king, but refuse to do what the king says. Some of you have such great potential. You do. And I know bad things have happened. Maybe you didn't have the same parental education, culturally benefits somebody else did. But you see, you still have great potential to touch your children's lives by your example for serving the King, to touch the world around you by making a difference where you live, where you work, where you play. Such potential. But to succeed, you've got to invest. Well, not for yourself. And everything in this world says you better take care of number one first, for Jesus. For Jesus. Now look at verse 28. He says, After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of His disciples, and as they came to the towns of Bethany, Bethage and Bethany, on the Mount of Olives. These are two towns, okay, in Israel. You can check the record, okay? Bethany's about 1.5 miles from Jerusalem. Luke tells us in the uh, 21st chapter that Jesus would spend the night in Bethany and then in the day go to Jerusalem this last week. Mile and a half? That's no problem for them. Get up in the morning and walk Jerusalem. Jesus would go to Jerusalem and He'd teach. At night, He'd go back to Bethany. And so that's why Luke gives us this Understanding. What is special about Bethany? It's the hometown of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Jesus apparently went there different times during his, his life, okay? Lazarus, the one he rose from the dead, okay? These people are appreciative, so sure, man, hang out. Say, so this is where Jesus would be in the evenings and then during the day he'd go into Jerusalem and he'd teach. Now look what 29 goes on and says. He sent two disciples ahead, because some of you read this and you say, what? Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it in here. Now let me stop. That's verse 31. He says, if anyone asks, why are you untying that coat? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the coat, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked, Why are you untying the coat? Well, you taking my animal. And look at their reply. And the disciples simply replied, The Lord Messiah, the King, the Son of David. Now please, if you haven't followed me in Luke, the blind man knew that and he never met Jesus from what he heard. We don't know if this owner ever met Jesus. See, some people try to say, Jesus set it up with the owner. We don't know. But we do know that for three years, the people in Israel knew a guy named Jesus from Nazareth who was being considered Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, who some called the Son of David who means He is the returning king every Jew is looking for. When they said, I want you to understand, the Lord, Messiah, Son of David, King wants it. He says, you got it. I want to ask you, whenever I illustrated his first story, talking about Jesus King, and I know God had to speak to you about something you ought to do, will you untie your donkey and do it? Listen, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll make this property glorify You. Listen, Lord, I'll make my marriage glorify You. Listen, Lord, I'm going to start obeying my parents. I'm going to glorify You. Listen, God, I will See, will you untie the donkey? Can you see Jesus as King? This guy just recognizes Him. Jesus for three years has impacted people's lives. His words, His actions. I mean, they celebrate when Jesus comes to town. They rejoice. That's what we do in worship. And some of you still don't celebrate, maybe. They celebrated when Jesus came to town. This guy hears the Lord Messiah, Son of David... King needs my donkey. Okay, you got her. Look at 35. And so they brought the coat to Jesus and threw their garments over it for Him to ride on. Now folks, let me say first of all, these people are demonstrating something through this. We see this maybe in a movie, or we read it, we let go. Here, Jesus is going to be on a donkey. Have you ever tried to ride a donkey? Our church where I came from, for... Ten years put on the greatest passion play. I say, east of the Mississippi. People from Mount Vernon drove to see it. I had to tell our our worship leader, quit trying to send tickets to churches. We're trying to reach lost people. People don't know Christ. But we would put our Jesus on a donkey and He'd slip off and slip off and slip off. Because if that donkey moved, man, you you fall off. These these people, his disciples, look, it says so they brought the coat to Jesus and threw their garments over it from the ride. These disciples, they're they're pulling off their coat and they're tying it around the donkey and around the neck. Now we just got something to hold on to. Okay, that's what they're doing. See when it says garment, it's their coat. They're, they're, they're taking their coat and they're making a saddle for Jesus. And I want you to understand, a person's coat is very valuable. This is, this is March, April season. Jerusalem in the evening gets down to 40 and 50s. You think you might need a coat? That's why they got a coat with them. They're taking what they need, what they say, but I'll be uncomfortable if I give it. And they're tying it around the donkey. For what purpose? For Jesus. And I'm telling you, you are asked, whatever your age, whether you're a young child or you're an old adult, you're asked to take what is yours and it will make you uncomfortable. But give it to Jesus. Invest it for Jesus. And that's what they're doing. And they didn't have, like some of you, you could put your coat on a donkey and never get it back because it's you. P.U. Because you look and you got two, three, five thousand coats. Well, I know you don't have five thousand, but you can't get all your clothes in the closet anyway. Every time my wife buys clothes, ask her what I say. Will you throw some away? I'll give them goodwill, she says. They only had one coat. And if they didn't have it when it got colder in the evening, they were very uncomfortable very uncomfortable. And if it was unexpected, it could even possibly freeze to death. And they tied around the donkey for Jesus. Now, would you see what happens? 36. As he rode along, the crowd spread out. What? Their coats! Their garments on the road ahead of him. In other words, the crowd, listen, the crowd is so impacted with what these disciples do that the crowd saying, it's King Jesus, it's the Son of David, it's the Messiah coming to ta- this. Is the Christmas parade, though it's not Christmas. And what do they do? What well, this is what the disciples did. I'm taking my coat off. Here. And they make a red carpet for Jesus. You see, they take what is valuable at that time for them, and it will cause their life to be uncomfortable if something happens to their coat. What if a donkey potties on their coat? You and I take it down to the hour cleaner. They're sleeping in that. You catch what I'm saying? This, This, this is... Action that's contagious. It's a very humble. For the disciples to do it for Jesus was an act of humility and service for Jesus. And that's the only reason you should serve. Not because his pastor's slick and he talks you into it, but because honestly you know the King is asking you and you give it. And their, their action so gets caught up in the crowd that the crowd trying to say, "What do we do for Jesus?" And they copy the behavior of these men who know Jesus in a very intimate way. And I'm going to tell you, there's people come in our worship that don't even understand to sing, and they sit beside you, and you know what you do, You refuse to take your coat off and become uncomfortable for Jesus and sing. And I'm going to tell you, children are growing up and they don't know how to worship. Sons are growing up and they're just like their dad. And I want you to know, like father, like son. And daughters are growing up and they're just like their mothers. Because like mother, like daughter. If you're a serving mother, if you're a worshiping mother, you're probably raising girls that are going to be that way. Your boys may not be. Because you see, that big man you married is not big for Jesus. Some of you are going to say, I don't like this. He's trying to make me feel guilty. That's what we always say when the king says, I have the right to expect from you what I want. And the enemies of the king will say, I hate you. We don't want you to be king of our lives because we want to do what we want to do. Verse 37, when they reached the place where the road started down, the Mount of Olives, all his followers began to shout. And sing, as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. in other words, this courageous or this contagious experience is spreading that now this one float parade, Jesus on a donkey, and a king ought to be coming on a white stallion in their day. That's what it should be. This king coming on a donkey, the people remember. God and His love. And they start shouting, Jesus, Son of God! Messiah! Son of David! Most Holy! Most Highest! King of Kings! They wouldn't have said King Kings. Kings! They're so caught up. Look at 38. Blessing on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace and heaven and glory and highest heaven. You know what? somebody, somebody's saying, do you know what? Look, look, look! He's on the donkey! We know others have said He's Son of David. We know others say He's God. We know others have said they've been healed. We know His, his words have changed lives. But I want you to look. He's on the donkey. Look, He's on the donkey. Do you, know, do you know what God said about the One who comes on the donkey? I want you to look on the screen. Because any person who knew the Scriptures, and they didn't have the New Testament, they had the Old Testament, Zechariah 9.9 500 years before that day said rejoice O people of Zion, Jerusalem shout in trumpet O people of Jerusalem look your king is coming to you on a majestic white horse no he is righteous and victorious and yet he is humble you want to know why they got caught up? they saw demonstrated humbleness of service and they did it, and somebody remembered God said, He's coming, humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's coat. Now there's a baby of a donkey who's had no time to learn how to react to a rider. They are so caught up with Scripture being fulfilled or missed. Why do I take so much time during Luke, to try to break this down because I want the Scripture to become so alive to you that when you're out in this world, it will cause you to invest wisely for the King. 39, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. You see, some people don't ever want to give the King rightful place. And if you give Jesus rightful place, then you don't do what He says, it becomes an indictment on you. These guys don't want that. Forty, he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into tears. In other words, Jesus is saying, as God Creator, I want you to understand, if I told these people to be quiet, creation itself would declare who I am. And I want you to know, creation has done that if we know the Scriptures. You see, rain by the Word of the Creator became floods. A rock by the Word of the Creator Water came out of a rock. And I can give you illustration after illustration. That's what Jesus is telling them. Because they don't, they don't have a New Testament. He's just saying, think of the Old Testament. If I did, if I told these people be quiet, I'm telling creation itself, these stones would rise up and demonstrate I am the Messiah. Could you imagine? They might just pop up in the air and go, click, 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 click. What's going on here? The stones are praising him. That's what Jesus is saying. 41. But as they came closer to Jerusalem and Jesus saw the city ahead, He began to weep. Because He knows what's going to happen, folks. And He knows why it's going to happen. Because people are caught in their sins. And He never forgets that. So whenever I speak to you, I want you to understand. You may think I don't understand your sin or what you're caught in is sin. I do. Jesus never forgot that. He weeped. I wish today that you of all people would understand the way of peace. In other words, the way of peace in this sinful world, the way of peace in a world that is full of brokenness in relationships, the way of peace is to live and love like Jesus. Follow him. Invest wisely for the king. He says, But now it's too late. It is too late, and the peace is hidden from your eyes. In other words, those Pharisees aren't going to listen. They're going to kill him. See, Jesus knows. Don't anybody think he went to the cross not knowing? He's God. In the garden, we'll get to that scene. He's telling God, "I know this is going to happen, man. I, I'm feeling human emotions. Can we change the this, this scene here, this, the scenario?" He knows these people aren't going to change. How about you? Will you change? He goes on, he says in 43, Before long your enemies will build ramparts against your walls. In other words, they're going to attack your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground, and your children and you with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation. Folks, basically, within 40 years, Jerusalem is devastated by the Roman army. The temple is gone, except for that west wall that we hear about today. Part of the west wall. They devastated everything. Jesus is trying to tell them. See, they said, you know what? The temple is special. And Jesus is trying to get them to understand. No, He's special. And what they put their trust in, in their traditions, and their temple, will be destroyed. Well, look at the last blank on your message, map. That's how we ought to end this sermon. That donkey owner, that donkey's owner in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, is just one in a long line of folks who gave little things to a big God. Will you continue that line? And you'll decide that. You'll decide that. I hope you invest wisely. I hope that today the Spirit of God is taking your feet into places that before maybe they would never wander. Is there any questions? Okay. Yes. Oh, we got one. Okay. This is the gal who's usually back there getting the questions so she gets the phone. Why did Jesus walk ahead of the disciples in 28? Was there some significance I don't imagine, I mean, I know nothing in my studies. I just don't imagine the crowd was there to see the disciples. And so Jesus is the one and please. If I'm at that door, when you're at that door, unless for some reason my attention is away, who's going to come in first? You or me, if I have a choice. Pardon? Yeah, I'm going to let you come in first. That's just the way I live my life. Those disciples knew. Jesus is first not them hey come on Lord come on follow us we know the way no I think if I had a simple answer there's no scriptural theological answer let's just say no he's the show not them and you know what he's the show today not connection not Pastor Mike not the band that's why if they make a mistake or I make a mistake hey we make a mistake don't have to be mad about it they make a mistake back there, they make a mistake. Don't get mad about it. Because if it's all about you, you get mad. It's all about Jesus. Hey, let's bow together on my to prayer and we're done. Father, thank You for the time. Thank You for Luke's words. And God, help us to appropriate them according to the way You would want them applied to our lives. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.